body was talking to me. I really had to listen to my body in a way I've never had to listen to it before in a very deep, deep way. Went through treatment, went through surgery, all while the coronavirus was raging. Uh, so had to do this alone. Though I wasn't alone, I was surrounded by, by loved ones, but had to go and do the treatments and the surgery by myself with the wonderful healthcare workers. What I found was that I really had to call on all of these resilience tools. Hello, and welcome to the Art of Living Well podcast. I'm Stephanie May Potter, and I'm here with my co-host, Marnie Dachis-Marmet. We created the Art of Living Well podcast to empower you to live your happiest, healthiest, and most authentic life. Each week, we will bring you inspiring and motivating conversations covering health and wellness topics, including fitness, mindset, food, travel, product reviews, and strategies from a variety of experts, including our own bank of knowledge. We are excited to educate, motivate, and inspire you to change the way you perceive health and discover your art of living well. Get ready to feel inspired. Hello, and welcome to episode 80 of the Art of Living Well podcast. Before we dive into today's episode, I just wanted to remind you that our 60-day Summertime Tribe program just started this past Monday, and it's really still not too late to join us. We would love to help you achieve balance in your life this summer while having fun, thriving, and keeping true to your goals and intentions so that when you do wake up in September, you still feel amazing in your own skin. The link to sign up is in our show notes, and it also will give you more details of what the program entails. So don't let your health take a back seat this summer and join us. We also want to let our local listeners know that we're hosting an outdoor yoga class taught by the lovely Michelle Olson of Layers Yoga and a clean crafted wine tasting event on the evening of June 16th. The sign-up link, again, is in our show notes, and there are limited spots, and we will form a waitlist as necessary, but we really look forward to seeing you at this awesome community event. And now, we are thrilled to welcome Jackie Fletcher Johnson, the founder of Heartwood Healing and the creator of the Heartwood Self-Mastery Programs. Jackie is an award-winning author and motivational speaker who has offered individual mastery, mindfulness, and resilience training and coaching to thousands of people through her work with organizations including Mayo Clinic, United Healthcare Group, Optum Health, Weight Watchers, Senior Care Communities, the Carver College of Medicine, and many more. She is the co-creator and host of the Healing Words television show and a founder faculty member of the Creative Writing at the Bedside Program both administered by the Lavin Center for Humanities in Medicine at Mayo Clinic. Jackie is the award-winning author of 14 books, including Dear Body, Love Me. Her work has received an iParenting Media Excellence Award and was a gold recipient of a Mom's Choice Award. Her advice has been featured in the Atlantic Journal, the Chicago Tribune, Experience Life Magazine, the Huffington Post, LifetimeTV.com, Ohm Times Magazine, and many, many more. She began training in self-mastery and mindfulness techniques more than 20 years ago when she lost 100 pounds that she's kept off for two decades. Her love of understanding human behavior won her a year-long fellowship from the Minnesota Psychoanalytic Society to study with a team of therapists. 
She's a certified healing touch practitioner and great story coach. During our conversation with Jackie today, we hear her journey about how she lost 100 pounds in her 20s and how that really led her on her path to where she is today and how she has returned to the intention of living a healthier life. We also talked a lot about her book, Dear Body, Love Me, which is a beautiful book that I recommend you go check out online. And she does a very powerful reading of it on YouTube as well. And as we talk about her book, we really talk about loving your body, loving yourself, um, treating your body with respect. And it was just a beautiful conversation. And Jackie has so much insight to share with our listeners. Before we dive into this inspiring conversation with Jackie, let's hear a quick word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by our wonderful sponsor, Appetite for Change. Appetite for Change is a nonprofit in North Minneapolis that uses food as a tool for health, wealth, and social change. This year, in light of COVID and the unrest in Minneapolis, Appetite for Change has continued to ground themselves in their mission and center their work around community connection and nourishing food. They launched a pilot program called Community Cooks Meal Boxes, which provides fresh produce and pantry items, plus two recipes for over 300 families at no cost to the family. The program has been such a success that it has been extended for another six weeks and will continue into 2021. AFC has utilized the kitchens of their two restaurants, Breaking Bread Cafe and Station 81, to produce over 200,000 meals that have been distributed across the Twin Cities to healthcare workers, seniors, and families in need. In addition, they have seven farm plots across North Minneapolis that are tended to by community members and Appetite for Change youth learning how to grow a variety of plants. These fresh fruits and vegetables are distributed throughout the north side. Even in 2021, Appetite for Change is committed to building a more equitable food system by delivering fresh and nourishing food to healthcare workers, seniors, and families in need, tending urban gardens, and more. We have been collaborating with Appetite for Change over this past year, and we have loved their dedication to their mission, and we so look forward to volunteering with their organization and working with them more in 2021. To learn more about Appetite for Change, listen to episode 31 of our podcast with one of their founders, Michelle Horowitz. For more information or to donate, head on over to appetiteforchangemn.org backslash impact or on Instagram and Facebook at Appetite for Change. Jackie, thank you so much for being a guest on our podcast today. You and I went to high school together, and it's so fun to connect with you after all these years. I still picture you in the Fiddler on the Roof play in my mind, so that was many, many years ago. But anyway, today there's so much we want to talk about with you, so thank you for joining us. Oh, you're welcome. I'm so happy to be here. This is going to be fun. Everyone has a story, and we'd love for you to share your journey that began with kind of when you lost 100 pounds in your 20s and how that led you on your path to where you are today. You've written like 14 books. You're the creator of a TV show, founder of Heartwood Healing, and so much more than that. Yeah, well, it's, um, you know, 
way back when we were in high school together, uh, I started life as you know a writer, uh, and that's what I've done for most of my life. And so people are always like, "Oh my gosh, that's so many books!" But that's what I just do for a living. And um, part of my journey has been, um, you know, that I, I grew up a morbidly obese kid and uh, really struggled with my weight, was up and down and all over the place, was on every kind of diet, you know, you can think of that my parents put me on and then later I put myself on. Uh, and uh, in my 20s, I just reached this point where um, I, I made this really radical decision to never ever go on a diet again and lost a hundred pounds by doing that. <laughs> um, and I've kept that, you know, that's everybody, you know, always wants to talk about that weight loss. But to me, what's most remarkable about the story is keeping it off uh, for 20 years. And uh, and so that journey really led me on this path of, of deep healing and being interested in how humans are, uh, you know, heal from the inside out and change from the inside out. And so that's what a lot of my work really focuses on is how do we become the best, brightest versions of ourselves? Wow, that's just really, I don't know, impressive is not even the right word, but to do that in your 20s and to already start to do that inner work, which is so hard that most adults even today have a hard time diving in. So how did you start out on that journey? I mean, you know, losing a hundred pounds, yes, that's great, like you said, but really it's the work, the hard work that you did and then how that transformed into creating, you know, writing the books and creating Heartwood Healing. Well, so what I started doing was I, um, I had this moment where I thought I can never go on another diet again because I keep failing and failing and failing and failing. And so I had this idea of what if I, what if I just take failure out of the equation? And what would that make possible? And that's actually the first time I had this idea for the return. And so I, I had this vision in my mind of this path that led to this distant horizon where health was, was on the horizon. And I just decided that this was gonna take my entire life to get there. And then I imagined that I had like this herd of cats and my job was to get this herd of cats down the path. And, you know, if a little kitty strayed off the path, I wasn't going to yell at it. I wasn't going to scream at it and call it names. I wasn't going to kick it. I was just going to call it back very gently and ask it to return to the path. And so that's, that's what I did with myself. And I started being, I started this whole new uh, strategy around what if I just return every single day to my intention to live a healthier life. And so that's what I did. And so if I fell off, if I ate something that wasn't healthy, if I drank something I didn't, that had a lot of calories in it, if I didn't um, exercise that day, instead of doing the, the spiral that I would do where I was, it was all or nothing and I was a failure and then it was a shame spiral. Instead, what I would do is I would just call myself back with deep self-compassion the next day and say, yep, you messed up back to, you know, and I would return to my intention to, to live a healthier life. And so that work uh, coincided with an experience I had where I was exercising by myself a lot because I was still, I didn't want to exercise in public. So I exercised in my living room and I was doing a kickboxing video and I did this kind of twist kick <laughs> move and just uh, totally ripped uh, my psoas muscle in my back. 
and uh, or I don't know if I ripped it or I harmed, but I definitely hurt it really bad and fell to the floor and uh, was unable, you know, I had to kind of crawl over to the phone and call for help. And um, that experience uh, happened because I was exercising alone. I had no support, no help, and I had really weak abs. I was strong in all sorts of other places, but my abs were really weak and my back was compensating. And so uh, I ended up with a physical therapist who uh, taught yoga and he did a yoga class for, uh, uh, his name is Phil Orenstein. He's here in Minneapolis. I think he's, he's in Edina. Um, and he taught a class at the time, uh, which I don't believe he does anymore, but he was teaching a class for uh, people who'd been injured. So it was really specifically tailored to rehabbing injured bodies with yoga. And so I was stretching and strengthening my back and my core with this experience. And um, if, if you've done yoga before, you know that what happens in yoga is um, over time, the longer you do it, uh, because I graduated from uh, working with Phil into working with other uh, teachers, is that they feed you this constant uh, these, this, it, this constant nourishment, really, of words that's like, hey, what an amazing and miraculous body you have. Listen to your body. What are you feeling right now? And it was this constant questioning and inquiry around the sensations of my body that I'd never asked myself before. And then that naturally, of course, led into the other questions that yogis will often ask, which is, and what are you thinking right now? What's going on in your mind? And what when they asked me that question, I was like, oh my gosh, what's happening in my mind is horrific. I am so mean. I'm so mean to myself. I compare myself to other people. I am constantly <laughs> judging everything about who I am. And 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 then finding myself lacking. And so it was such a self-sabotaging negative frame of mind to live with. And uh, so that work really started to, I started to transform how I was thinking and really being present. And so mindfulness itself uh, is something that I started to practice regularly back then, and then just really explored all of the facets of mindfulness training. Um, both from a movement perspective, but also from just a training the mind perspective. And so that work uh, just, you know, continued. And as I was losing the weight, you know, I really experienced every moment of it so that um, it took a long time for me to lose that weight. And when I uh, was finished, I remember I was on this trip and I was in Europe and I had gone into this really fancy store and they had these red pants. And I was like, oh my God, those are the most beautiful red pants I've ever seen. And I was like, they, they won't fit. And I automatically, like I already had this track running in my head about who I was and what would fit me. And I remember I was like, well, just try it, you know? And I walked into the, the, um, the changing room and I remember looking, you know, putting on the pants and I'm like, oh my God, wait, they fit. And I remember looking in the mirror and be like, I don't even recognize this person. And I had this moment of almost disassociation where I was like, who is that? And so I had to get to know her and I had to, I had to find my way to her uh, while at the same time really helping myself heal the things, heal that kind of inner part of me that was 
that was and will always be the little fat girl who was made fun of. That girl still lives in my heart. And so a lot of the work that I do now that led to my books have been about how do I develop this sense of self-love, this sense of self-kindness, you know, because really it's this relationship with that inner self that was that was off, it was dysfunctional, and it should be strong and healthy, and, and it wasn't. So that led me to this process of, of writing uh, Dear Body, Love Me, which is uh, this narrative poem uh, that I wrote, um, which is really a love letter to my body and an apology. And then I wrote a series of books called uh, Dear You, which were these letters uh, basically to myself. Uh, I was the you, um, and they're letters from this character that I created called Your Heart. So I was basically talking to myself, but I was practicing this inner voice of deep self-compassion in these books. And so I, I wrote these little messages and then I hand stamped them letter by letter. So it was this really meditative process that was healing in itself because I was really basking in these words and training my mind to think them. And so I view these, you know, this project, um, which I've now is several years old, but I view the Dear Body Project and the Dear You books as some of my most transformative work that I did personally. And now that they, they've helped other people is just icing on the cake. Would you mind reading that opening quote from the book, Dear Body? Sure. This is how it begins. Dear Body, I am writing to apologize to you. I have hated you and starved you and pinched you. I have forced you to eat too much and then crucified you for being too fat. I have examined every inch of you for your flaws. I have used you without regard for your safety. I have demanded that you go places you didn't want to go. I have given you to jerks. I have refused to listen to you. I have buffed and polished you and plucked and shaved you. I have made you go without sleep, without exercise, without touch. I have punished you for your love of wine and dark chocolate. I have allowed other people's words about you to determine how I treat you. I have avoided looking at you in mirrors. I have studied you in mirrors with the eyes of an enemy looking for weaknesses. I have pushed you to exercise until you ripped. I have stressed you out so badly you responded with heart palpitations and insomnia. I have ignored you and turned away from your pain. I have done all of this and more. Wow. So incredibly powerful. I mean, I have the chills. I know, I'm like starting to tear up. So I, <laughs> me too. I mean, and I think so much of what you wrote is so relatable to everyone, no matter what your body shape or size is. I feel like that's very common that people, you know, have all that mean inner voice and self-sabotage. Yeah, that's right. You know, I have heard that a lot from, from people who've read this book um, or have seen me perform it, that they um, feel like it is for, it's not just about weight. It's not just about weight mm -hmm. loss. It's, that's my particular story, but it, it's, a, it's really about a relationship with our bodies. Absolutely. And we don't appreciate all that our body does for us and think it. We're so hard and judgmental. We're our own worst critics. And it's like, we look in the mirror yes. and we see, mm -hmm. we don't even see ourselves, you know, like we, 
we have some image in our head of how we think we look. And it's just, you know, I think, I think for women, especially, I mean, this relates to men too, or there's a lot of men out there, but I think just growing up and I don't know if it was the time period that we grew up with all the the diets and, you know, Marty and I've had this conversation before. My, My mom was always on a diet and working out and I was tracking my food. And I just think this is relevant to so many people. And then, you know, both of us have daughters and like, how do you instill this at a very, very young age? Because like you said, it starts from, I mean, it could start from birth literally, right? And how do you learn to love your body and love yourself and love yourself? And you have a daughter as well. Yeah, I do. I, I have a daughter as well. Yeah. And it's really challenging. I mean, we live in a culture that makes this very difficult um, to do. And, you know, I've had conversations with my daughter who at, a, you know, 10 was like, mom, you know, and am I fat? And younger, actually younger than that, um, you know, uh, girls, I remember this, this was happening right away um, in kindergarten. She came home from school and a little girl had said, called her ugly. And she was like, mom, am I ugly? And I'm like, what, who said this to you? You know, and like inner mother bear came out. Um, but, you know, we, women use, uh, use image and body as weapons against each other. Our culture, you know, tells us all the time right. that we're supposed to look a certain way. And now we're in this really confusing era of body positivity and it's, and it's okay to be fat, but it's also not okay to be fat at the same time. So that stuff is all like gone underground, but it's still there. And so now it's even more confusing about can I just love who I am no matter what I look like? And so what I tell, what I talk to my daughter a lot about is, you know, loving our bodies and loving ourselves, that's the goal. Like, that's why we want to do things. So when I was losing weight, I, I got to this place eventually where I was like, you know, I want to feed my body healthy things because it feels better because then I don't have a stomach ache because then I'm treating my body with respect. And instead of eating for a reason to, for me was to fill a hole. It was to, it was around woundedness. It was around self-protection. And so all of those kind of emotional reasons for eating, if I didn't have any of those things driving my, my behaviors with food, and I was just really happy with who I was, I would have been fine if I still weighed another hundred pounds. If I was coming from that perspective, I was not. Um, And for me, being healthy and strong and wanting to live a long life for my family and my children is important to me. Um, And so when I talk to Eva about this, I say to her things like, you know, how do you think your body would feel if you have that versus this? And And so what would be the most loving act that you can do for your body? And I really try to have been training her as much as I can uh, to to push back against what she sees out there. And so I keep, you know, she'll say things to me like, mom, what do you think about this, about how I look today? I'm like, what do you think about how you look today? And then we, so I turn it on uh, back on her. And the other thing I talk to her a lot about I try to connect her to something larger, to some larger sense of awe about her body. And so I was experiencing, as I wrote about in in Dear Body, I was experiencing heart palpitations and insomnia because I was so stressed out. 
And my doctor was like, you diagnosed me with being stressed. And I was like, you don't know what you're talking about. I'm not stressed. I do yoga. <laughs> and I really totally dismissed it, but I was running my own company and running a family. You know, I was like try doing all these things that modern women do. And I was so exhausted and burned out and didn't realize that I was burned out. So I was having all these physical symptoms because the body talks to us constantly. And so I, I went in for all these tests during that time and, uh, I saw a, a picture of my heart and I saw a picture of my eye and all the blood vessels in my eye. And I was like, oh my gosh, all of those veins in my body look exactly like the veins in a leaf. They look exactly like the, the limbs of that tree outside my window. And I had this moment of just deep awe about my body. I was like, this is a miraculous vehicle this is my container and i need to treat this amazing thing that is part of this world that is so astounding i need to treat it with deep reverence and respect and so i try to teach my daughter that perspective uh, because even though i've got you know a, something that i might not like if my thighs are doing this or my stomach is this or my everything's getting wider because i'm older you know then I can just look at it and say, yeah, and it's miraculous. So I try to do that. That's beautiful. And I love how you turn it on your daughter and you say, what do you think? How do you look today? Because my daughter always comes to me, does this look okay? Do you like this mom? So I like that answer. I'm going to yeah. use that one next. So am I. That's because my daughter, I mean, my daughter does the same. And same thing with food. Like, what should I eat? Like, well, what do you want to eat? I've been trying to change that anyway. And it's not just about the food, but yeah empower yep. them right yep. mm -hmm. so wonderful i mean just like such a great i don't know great insight and inspiration for everyone out there regardless of whether you have kids or not yeah and i try to teach eva to you know my the newest book that i'm working on is called the art of the return and so that one is not out yet i'm, I'm actually writing it as we speak but uh it's this book about um i started writing it before the coronavirus hit and it was about, you know, what we just talked about, this thing that had happened in my 20s about figuring out, it was really just this idea of mindfully and consciously returning my attention and intention to something every day. That was what the book was originally going to be about, uh, because I was trying to teach that to my daughter as well. Like, who cares if you did that today and stop the shame spiral? Who cares? Let's, let's let that go and return again tomorrow. Tomorrow you can return to whatever it is she was, you know, trying to do. Um, because of course this works not just with food and, and body image, but it works with all sorts of goals and intentions. And so then the coronavirus hit and um, at the very same time I was diagnosed with breast cancer. And so that was last December of 2019. And uh, so now the book I'm writing is very different, uh, still has the art of the return concept in it, but it's much deeper really about how do we return to our feet uh, is kind of part of this book now uh, when we've gone through something hard. So it's not only achieving something hard, but also going through something hard and really re-engage with our passion and purpose. And so what I found in this last year is again, my body was talking to me and I really had to listen to my body in a way I've never had to listen to it before in a very deep, deep way. 
and um, went through treatment, went through um, surgery all while the coronavirus was raging. Uh, so had to do this alone. Uh, though I wasn't alone, I was surrounded by by loved ones, but had to go and do the treatments and the surgery by myself with the wonderful healthcare workers. What I found was that I really had to call on all of these resilience tools because that's what I do in my day job, right? I, I teach resilience, I teach burnout prevention. It's because I have been burnt out, because I'm terrible at managing it. I've really had to learn how to how to do this work myself. And so I was calling as I was going through this experience of, of breast cancer treatment, I was using all of these skills that I had. Um, knowing that things like, for instance, creative expression from this Dear You project from Dear Body, I know that creative expression is an incredible resilience tool. So I was using that as I was going through my cancer treatments. I was using mindfulness training that I had been teaching for years in my process, using this sense of awe, my connection to something larger. I was using all of those, those things as I was doing this. And then I realized though, that I was missing a huge, huge part of the return because I was so focused and all the way back to my twenties and the weight loss stuff, I was so focused on the intellectual part of this and trying to hit my goals and to knock them off my list and to stay on the path and to, you know, keep myself and really self-control was kind of the thing that I was focused on the most. And I had completely um, let go of this idea of fun and laughter and pleasure. <laughs> and so when people ask me like, well, you know, what did this experience with breast cancer teach you about the work you're doing and how has it deepened it? I'm like, I used to teach people fun and laughter and pleasure is something that of course the research tells us is really important for resilience, but I wasn't, that was one that I wasn't great at practicing. And so with the cancer diagnosis, I had this experience where <laughs> I was, um, I was going through uh, both chemotherapy and immunotherapy at the same time because I was in a trial, uh, this cutting edge uh, new treatments for breast cancer. And I was, uh, it was the night before I was to get both of those treatments and they knocked me on my butt for a good week every time I got them. And so the night before I was to get another round, I, was, I woke up at about three o'clock in the morning and I was scared. Um, and so I got up and I made this little video for my friends and family on my private Facebook page. And I was like, hey, you know, you guys, I am up in the middle of the night. I have this treatment coming up and I am really scared. When I was a kid and I was scared, I used to tell myself stories to help myself feel better. And I was like, will you tell me a story? And I asked them to do it in the comments of this post that they could add a sentence or a paragraph and just tell me a story. And so the next day I went to the cancer clinic and I was sitting in this cold gray plastic seat, you know, all hooked up to the IV. I had a port in my chest that, you know, because they can't put the drugs directly into smaller veins, they'll destroy them. And so they had implanted this, you know, piece of tech in my chest to take the drugs into larger veins. And uh, so I was sitting there all hooked up and you know, letting these, I called them my, my life giving poisons, <laughs> uh, drip into my body, this life juice. And as I was sitting there, um, instead of just 
being present to the fear and to the um, horror really of this medical trauma, I was watching on Facebook this story being told and it was so sweet and so heartfelt and it made me feel so loved and connected to my community and it was hilarious. It was super funny. So I was just laughing, you know, sitting there and my nurses are like, what's going on over there? And I was like, just, oh, I would show them what's happening and then they would laugh. And it was just this beautiful experience. So that night uh, I had, I had to track all of my symptoms very carefully because I was in this trial. And that night I, um, I knew that my fever was going to get up to 104. I knew that I was going to have all over body pain. I knew that my teeth were going to chatter so hard. Like it felt like my teeth were going to break in half. And I knew that I would just cry. Like my body would just cry with no, it was just releasing toxins. I felt the, felt everything kind of come on around two o'clock that morning. And I woke up and instead of feeling the fear that I normally felt or just the misery of the experience, um, I started thinking about this story and I started laughing. And so then I was had this ridiculous idea in the middle of the night to start um, a little YouTube uh, Facebook show um, just really for myself called, holy crap, I got cancer during the coronavirus comedy show. <laughs> and so I thought that was so hilarious and ridiculous that I started laughing. And then I had to get up because I had to brainstorm skits I would do. And so I noticed that my fever only got up to 102 and the pain wasn't as bad that night. So I went to sleep. I got a little bit of sleep. And the next morning I called one of my brothers and I told him this idea for this show. And we just started laughing and, um, and then started brainstorming more ideas for skits. And at the beginning of the call, I had a fever of 102 and I had all over body pain. By the end of the call, I had no fever and no pain. And the pain went away for a good, probably two hours. And then, you know, everything came back and I was like, oh my gosh, like there, this is, there's something going on here. And um, so I, I did two more experiments, you know, and, and called another couple of people and had this exact same thing happen. So I started reading, of course, there's lots of literature about laughter and, and positive emotions and how it affects our physiology and our bodies. Um, and I started reading, you know, Norman Cousins kind of classic book about laughter and how it helped him heal through a medical crisis. And so, um, so I did it. I started this ridiculous little show and had so much fun doing it. And my, uh, my doctor, my oncologist, was looking at my numbers, you know, every week as I would come in and be like, what are you doing? Because I was staying healthier through the chemo process. Uh, and, and, and it worked. So, um, so now that's one of the things that I teach a lot is making sure that I really include that because it was so profoundly transformative for my health and continues to be. Um, and so the, the one last thing I would add is that, you know, there were days that I didn't think anything was funny. Um, I started this before, uh, you know, George Floyd was murdered. I started this before the summer of all of the protests. I started this before, you know, the death counts kept mounting with the coronavirus and all of the, the things that were happening in our country. And there were days that I didn't think anything was funny at all. And so I started asking myself two questions every morning. And one was, you know, what would I think is fun to do today or funny? And if I was in a space where I couldn't make that happen, 
then I would say, ask myself, what's the most nourishing thing I can do for myself today? And so that practice became just this well-being touch point that helped get me through the really hard parts of this past year. Um, and then helped me get through getting a clean bill of health because I got all the scans are clean. I'm cancer free. Yay. I'm a survivor. Congratulations. Thank you. And depression comes after that. When you get that, when you get that uh, email, you get that message. There's this thing that, you know, survivors don't really, you don't know until you're in it. Um, that I think a lot of people uh, who are listening to this will relate to is that you feel this, even if you haven't gone through a trauma like cancer, um, we're all going through something hard right now. And there is this feeling of depression and sadness and grief and all of that stuff that can happen because the emotional stuff hits you when you're out of the acute, like, okay, what are we dealing with today? What do we, what do we got to do today? Like when you're through that acute phase, you kind of go into this freeze state. When you get out of that, then we get into this place of like, what just happened to me? and all the emotional stuff hits. And so that's the period where things like this practice of like, what would be funny and fun today? Or what would be the most nourishing thing I can do it was so helpful to help me get through that. And so I've been telling a lot of people that right now is like, you know, and that's kind of an evergreen, an evergreen practice, but especially now for people um, who are so burned out. Um, the Harvard Business Review just put out a study that 90% of us are burned out right now. Um, we're, we're all struggling. Uh, and so this one, that one can really, really help. Wow. And now we will take a quick break from this episode to hear a word from our sponsor. Have you been thinking about a new home build, remodel, or even rework of a smaller space in your home? We have all spent more time in our homes over the past year, and many people are trying to recreate spaces in their homes to bring more joy and functionality to fit their lifestyles. It can be really hard to know where to turn, but Sarah and Marcy, co-founders of Chisel Architecture, are the experts that will help you gain clarity and confidence around your project. One of the unique aspects of Chisel Architecture that sets them apart from others is their trademark design approach called Pattern of Life. This approach is a game changer for homeowners and how they experience the design process. Marcy and Sarah really listen to you to fully understand your needs and advocate for you during both the design and implementation process. When you think about your home environment and how it supports you, Chisel Architecture believes your overall well-being should be in the mix. Sarah and Marcy want you to live well in your home. Because they are so passionate on their design approach, they have a special offer for our listeners. Book a two-hour consultation and receive $50 off. Simply email them at hello at chiselark.com. That's at H-E-L-L-O at C-H-I-S-E-L-A-R-C-H dot com. And mention the Art of Living Well podcast to receive your $50 off. Consultations must be booked by June 30th to take advantage of this offer. So what are some examples of things you did for yourself? Like, were they little things? Like, what, what are a few things you would do? Yeah, so this is one where um, it's surprisingly hard for people to think about what gives them pleasure <laughs> and what would be fun and nourishing. And so it's a practice to learn that and to also 
So I started asking other people first. I was like, what do you do that's mm-hmm. nourishing that you love to do? And I gathered a list of things. And I said, what, what do you guys think? And every time I would speak, I'd be like, you know, to a group, I'd be like, what do you guys put in the chat? Everything that you think is really funny. Like, what do you watch when you want to do something funny? So I started gathering this list of things. Um, and so I could then kind of explore that. So um, I watched a lot of, vi- you know, I watched funny videos. Um, so there's a woman, oh gosh, I'm not gonna remember her name, but she did, the, she did an episode a version, a short version of The Princess Bride, where she had her kids tell the story of Princess Bride and like kids' voices. And then all she and her friends acted it out with their voices, like Mouth did. <laughs> and it's just hilarious. And they do a bunch of these like to Disney videos. Um, and then I watched, uh, I had never seen John Mulaney, his comedy on Netflix. He's got several um, shows on Netflix. And so a bunch of people are like, oh, you got to watch John Mulaney. And so that's what I, I just, I watched a lot of videos during that time. The nourishing things that I did for myself sometimes were, I had to say no to someone. That was hard. I had to say, no, you can't come over. I had to say, I'm going to take a nap right now. Um, I had to just, you know, I did a lot of times I would put my hands on my heart and be like, honey, what do you need right now? What, what would be the most nourishing thing for you? What do you need? And oftentimes I would just have to sit and wait and I would close my eyes and I would just let something come up and it would be, I need to sit in the sunshine. I need to go outside. I need to smell the fresh air. Like it was very simple things. It was not you know, I need to go on some amazing trip somewhere. It was just, I need to go and hold my daughter's hand for a while. That's it. I mean, it was super nourishing. And what I realized from that experience of nourishing myself in those ways was that it naturally blossomed into this sense of gratitude and this sense of, oh my gosh, I, all this striving, all this achieving, all this trying to be something or someone or, you know, meet some expectation of who I'm supposed to be in this world. All of that fell away. And I realized that I already have everything I've ever wanted. And so that was a profound experience for me. Um, and so that, that nourishment came in much smaller packets uh, than I expected. Wow. Jackie, this, I mean, this is very profound. Everything that you said, starting with adding fun, which is what actually I could, I knew you were going to say that. And I think that's something that a lot of people, a lot of the, you know, high achieving or driven. And I think pre-pandemic, that's what a lot of us were doing, right? We were just running, running, trying to achieve some notion that we had, that we are goal. And I mean, for you to have to go through this cancer diagnosis during the pandemic is just awful but it's like you've been given this gift of life too and a gift to be able to teach and inspire others with these like you said simple you know but again it's tuning in and asking yourself what you need because at the end of the day when you can get to that good happy place then you're a better then you can give yourself and all your talents to others more more free more freely i think this is just so relevant right now and so that's helpful for for everyone, regardless of whether you're going through a major challenge like you were. And I just, I love those experiments you were doing and tracking your temperature and the pain. Cause that's, I mean, 
forget like there's lots of research out there right and lots of information but like doing that on yourself that's all you need you know what happened to you in your body i don't know i'm just still so like amazed by everything you just shared yeah thank you you know it is i just keep thinking about it um there's a woman who um she's amazing her name is dr edith eva egger and she wrote a book called The Choice, which is her memoir of being in Auschwitz uh, during the Holocaust. She published her first book at age 90. I mean, she's just amazing. Wow. Her second book, I think she published it at age 92. I mean, she's just incredible. And she went on to become a psychotherapist in her 40s, like went back to school in her 40s and 50s. Wow. Um, and wrote two amazing books. One is The Choice, which is her memoir. And the second one is called The Gift. And it's about what she calls the 13 um, prisons of the mind. One of the things that, so I was reading her work last summer, the summer of 2020, when I was recovering from cancer treatments and coronavirus was raging and the whole country, I mean, we were all just, you know, in such a state of shock and um, and that continues like the, 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 the mental health of, of the United States and all over the world of people is really suffering right now. And one of the things, the, these moments in the book that just struck me so much is that, you know, first of all, she says, don't compare your suffering to mine. We all suffer. We are all human. Suffering is universal. So, you know, I don't want people to be listening and say, oh, she went through cancer like that. I just don't want you to be comparing your suffering to mine. We are all suffering. And one of the things that she said in her book, she describes this moment of being rescued. Um, and she was in the hospital and she was in just, you know, horrible shape. She had a broken back. She, she you know, weighed hardly anything, was so malnourished. And she was lying in this bed in the hospital room and she describes this moment of, you know, having almost, she said she describes it almost like this voice kind of rose into her in a way. And she had this thought come through her mind that was, if I live, I have, she's like, I have to stand for something. And it just gave me chills to the, you know, to my essence when, when I read that. And so I started thinking about that last summer. I started thinking, if I live, I have to stand for something. And I think that we're all asking those questions of ourselves right now because this time has given us this beautiful gift of being able to say, wait a minute, is the way we were doing things before the way we want to be doing them? Is it the way we wanna go back to? Are there things we wanna change? And we're all dealing with this very real sense of death around us with you know the death counts we see every day in the news climbing and climbing like um the energy of death is around us right now and that is a very clarifying energy and so um so i think we're all asking that question what do i what do i stand for um and so that's that is also the other thing i would just you know leave with with people who are listening is that um to ask that question and to live the answer, to explore that answer um, without judgment and without pressure, but as a curious exploration that is fun um, because now is the time. Absolutely, I love that. And I think that's something that everybody can think about at any time. Absolutely, wow. So as we start to wrap up, we do love to leave our listeners with some simple tips that they can kind of use to implement into their life. 
And what would you want to share with people just to have a little more self-compassion and self-love? Mm. So this is a practice that's hard for people who don't feel self-love or even self-kindness. Um, but so there's varying degrees of how to start it. But basically um, what I would recommend is to put your hands somewhere on your body that feels comforting. So for me, I love putting my hands over my heart center, you know, just like right in the middle of my chest. For some, sometimes I like putting my hands one on my solar plexus, which is where the ribs come together, you know, beneath, um, right between your stomach and your um, chest, and then one on my lower belly. Um, and so that feels really comforting to me. Some people can't put their hands on their bellies. It makes them feel bad. Uh, so I always say, where, where on your body feels comforting? Some people it's on their cheeks, some people it's a forehead and the back of the neck. Um, and for some people they like, you know, just on their thighs, but where, where on your body can you put your hands that feels good and strong uh, so that you can kind of plug into that sense of presence with your body. Um, and then I work to just, I really use um, this, this practice that has been shown in multiple studies that really helps us which is I talk to myself in the third person and I just say, hey, hey, it's okay. How you doing? You know, what are we feeling right now? And, you know, this is a practice that um, it's called reparenting in psychology. Um, there is this voice called the compassionate parent. And so I tap into that voice with myself uh, and I just go, hey, what do you need right now? So I, that's the first practice I would recommend is actually putting your hands somewhere on your body that feels comforting. If you have to hover your body or hover your hands kind of just off your body because you're not ready to touch it yet, that's okay. Um, but just to work on practicing that voice. So a time to do that, for instance, is if you wake up in the middle of night and can't get back to sleep because you ruminate all the time and spiral into negative thinking or worrying and anxiety, perfect time to do that. Put your hands on your chest. Hey, we're not gonna solve this right now. Right now it's time to sleep. Because the thing about a compassionate parent is they are kind and loving unconditionally, but they have firm boundaries. And that is kind of the hallmark of that voice. So we set boundaries with ourselves. Not time to think that. We're gonna, we're gonna go to sleep right now. And here's an image you can think about. Here's a beautiful scene from a, a vacation we had that, why don't you think about that right now? And to disrupt the flow of thinking with a visual image. I wish I would have had this tip last night when I was up for an hour. <laughs> oh, well, tonight I hope so, it helps. <laughs> yeah, yes. Well, I'll, I'll for sure be using it. Well, and I love oh. that it's, you don't need anything but yourself, right? Right. There's right. nothing you need to purchase. There's nothing, you know, you don't need any tools. It's just you. That's right. It's just it's you. all within you. Well, what you said earlier, Jackie, mm -hmm. it's all within you. You don't need to take a vacation. We're not trying to escape, right. you know and look outward for something material or otherwise. It's all within us. It is, yeah. Oh, this has been such a wonderful conversation and I don't want it to end. So where can people find you? Because they're gonna wanna find you, they're gonna wanna buy your books. And the one thing we didn't mention when you talked about Dear Body Love Me is that there's a great YouTube video so you can, you can everyone can see you perform it, which was great. Um, so yeah, why don't you tell us where 
Yeah, sure. So um, people can find me at heartwoodhealing.com and they can sign up for my newsletter um, at heartwoodhealing.com slash subscribe. And then I send out a free little video of some of my favorite techniques for, for busting stress. Um, and then they can find me on LinkedIn. I do a lot of writing on LinkedIn, um, have articles there that they can read. And, um, and then uh, the comedy show uh, is at, uh, on Facebook at CC Comedy Show. Uh, I, so if they want to watch some of those videos or know somebody who's ill, that that might be uh, helpful for. Um, so those are, yeah, those are the places that you can find me. Awesome. That's great. And we'll link all this up in the show notes as well. Thank you. Yeah. So as we wrap up our conversation, we like to ask all our guests, what does the art of living well mean to you? The art of living well means something very different to me now than it did a year and a half ago. And I would say that now, you know, before the art of living well meant something to me like run a successful business make plenty of money. Uh, now what it means is spend time looking into the eyes of the people I love, be present for them fully, be present for myself in my life in this moment so I don't miss it. That's what it means to me now. Oh, that's so beautiful, Jackie. And I, you know, I appreciate that you the comment that it's changed, that it's different than it was a year and a half ago. And I think that's why we love asking this question because it's going to change as you go through these different experiences in life. And I think just being present, like you said, spending time with your family and looking at them is so, is so important. The one thing we did want to mention to everyone is we are going to run um, a fun giveaway when this episode drops, when everyone's listening to it. So if you're listening to it on the day that it airs, definitely head over to both of our Instagram pages and we're going to do a giveaway of some of your books, which will be really fun. Thank you. This has been a ball. I hope it's helpful for you and I hope it's helpful for your listeners. This has just been wonderful. Thank you for the work you're doing for people as well. Just helping people, you know, with the art of living. It's really, it's really beautiful and inspiring what you're doing. Thank you. Well, we look forward to to reading your, your new book when it comes out, The Art of the Return. So I will let you know, yes, when it's ready, for sure. Thank you awesome. so much for being a guest today. We've loved having you. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the Art of Living Well podcast. We are so grateful that you joined us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend or anyone else you think may benefit from this information. We'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast, leave us a review, and tag the Art of Living Well podcast on social media. If you want more inspiration in between episodes, you can find us on social media at the Art of Living underscore well on Instagram and Facebook, where we will share snippets from our daily lives and our journey to living well.